from NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. This is episode 195 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I am your host, Amanda Bruce. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to Ministry Monday wherever you listen to podcasts each week. And hey, thanks for joining us. Today's episode comes as a listener request, and a very appropriate one at that. Allow me to read a portion of an email I received from a listener. Dear Ministry Monday, I hope this message finds you very well. I am writing to you today as I feel you are the perfect person to receive this idea. I wanted to suggest an inclusion of Dr. Lynn Eustace's Ministry Monday episode about vocal care somewhere in your upcoming programming. The reason I am forwarding this request is due to the hiatus several choirs have been on after Christmas, the strain of Holy Week can be damaging if voices are not in shape to sing the repertoire. While I am just a volunteer musician at the basic member level of NPM who joined the association in May, I believe this topic is relevant to all. Well, listener, we couldn't agree with you more. For this reason, today's episode is directed to all vocalists serving in the church today. Choir members, cantors, clergy even, and of course, choir directors alike. We've been using our voices differently in the past two years, and our conversation with Dr. Lynn Eustace from last summer is a great reminder how to recondition our voices with care. For more information on this topic, check out the April edition of Pastoral Music Magazine, NPM's quarterly magazine published for its standard and premium members. Are you not a member of NPM or maybe listening to this and are a basic member who would like to receive it? Check out npm.org forward slash membership to join or upgrade your membership. Pastoral Music Magazine alone is a great reason to become a standard or premium member of NPM today. And now to the episode at hand. Today, we shift the focus from technology to the physical internal instrument so many of us value and love, the human voice. As pastoral ministers, many of our cantors and choir members have not sung in over 15 months or maybe have not sung at the same level and frequency that they did pre-pandemic. So the question today is how do we guide their voices with an even stronger sense of pastoral care? 
It is from there that I begin our conversation today with Dr. Lynn Eustace. Lynn joins us from her home in Boston, Massachusetts. Today on Ministry Monday, I am speaking to Dr. Lynn Eustace. Hello, Lynn. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you, Amanda? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you for being willing to chat with us today on Ministry Monday. Of course. My pleasure. Uh, If someone's listening and may not necessarily know your whole background or just kind of what you specialize in, would you mind just giving us a little bit of background for the listeners? Sure. I'm currently on the faculty at Boston University, where I serve as director of graduate studies for the School of Music, and I'm also an associate professor of voice. Um, I'm heading into my 10th year here. Prior to that, I taught at the University of North Texas for 13 years, where I held the same two positions. Um, I've performed quite a lot around into various places. Um, I hold a doctoral degree in in opera performance from Florida State, a master's in opera from the Curtis Institute of Music in Philadelphia, and my undergrad is from Bucknell University. Um, I've I've authored several books. I've got to do my shameless book plug, the most recent one, The A Singer's Epiphany, Faith, Music, and Mortality. So um, that's available on giamusic.com. And we're going to, if it's okay, I'd love to chat with that at the end of our conversation and kind of talk a little bit about that book. Oh, sure. I'd be happy to. Okay. Okay, great. All right. So if you, the listeners cannot tell, Lynn focuses in voice, if you cannot tell. And that's why I've asked to chat with her today. So Lynn, I know we kind of covered this before we started recording, but I think it's a really great place to start for our conversation that so many of the listeners are pastoral ministers and pastoral musicians specifically. And this has been like everything else and everyone else. This has been a strange year in our field. It's been very strange. And (laughs) things that we felt were so obvious, like a volunteer choir rehearsal or singing with hymnals in congregations have been, you know, missing. And now, of course, we're starting to introduce them again. Thank goodness. Um, But that still doesn't account for the fact that for the last 15 months or so, many of our congregation members and especially our volunteer singers probably have not had that discipline of singing on that at that level because singing really wasn't something that we could do well or publicly, I should say, um, in, in the midst of COVID-19. So Let's start there. So from your thoughts and your reflections, you know, what are some of the things that we as pastoral ministers need to be concerned about as people return to singing? And we'll kind of go two ways here, both for our congregations and then also for like our choir members. Sure. So I'm not a, a scientist or an epidemiologist, so, I'm, so I'll skip out. I'll, let, I'll leave the safety questions to, to others who are more mm-hmm. qualified to speak mm-hmm. about that. Um, what I tend to talk about when I'm asked these questions is about just the physicality of singing and how you're going to return to that safely. And then also there's a, there's a big emotional component to being back in the back in the pews, back in the choir stalls after a very long time, or back in the voice studio. I've recently been teaching uh, privately here in my house um, in person for about six weeks now. And every single student has cried a little bit at the first lesson because it's just so, we're just so happy to be back in and away from the computer screens. It's, it's, it's been a boon that we've had Zoom. Thankfully that we've had that in, in earlier years when we didn't have that, I don't even know what we would have done. But um, I know. It, it's really, it, and I've been really uh, stunned and, and surprised and amazed by how, how much my students have been able to progress 
through Zoom lessons. I would, if you'd asked me this before the pandemic, I would have thought that's, there's no way, there's no way that would be useful in any way, but it, it really has been for them, but it's still a big relief to come back and, and be in person. In terms of just, of just the physicality of singing, I think it now is a good time to start a daily regimen if you don't have one already. I write a column for, uh, for the Liturgical Singer, which is an NPM publication. And the, the title of the column is, is Ask a Voice Teacher. And my, my issue, my article that's coming out in August deals very specifically with some of these, these concerns. Starting a daily regimen, it can be you know, as simple as you stand up, you, you align your body, you, you think about your posture, how you would have stood in your, in your choir or in, out in your pew when you're holding the hymnal, you get yourself aligned, you take a really good breath, whatever that means to you. There are many, many ways to talk about that. Um, just by really releasing your body and really getting in a nice, you know, just getting in that good space. Maybe you hum a little bit. Maybe you start by just humming five notes. Maybe you just do you just do something like that, very simple. Maybe when you get comfortable with that, and you come back into your voice and you try different vowels. Maybe you go up a scale um, and you do that. If you spent 10 minutes doing that a day, for a little while, that would make a difference in terms of getting you set up, especially if you haven't been doing that throughout the pandemic. Um, the next thing you can do is, is open up your hymnal or go to hymnary.org, one of the other places where you can find hymns online if you don't happen to have a hymnal and you can sing through a hymn you know, every day. If you do one or two hymns a day, that's also great. That will take you, what, 10 minutes, maybe 15 between you, the warm-ups and the hymns. And that, that will start to get you back in the habit of singing a lot. As we all know, even just being out in the congregation for a full service, you're going to do three hymns. You're probably going to do some chanting or maybe you're going to do some other um, call and response sort of things. And you want your voice to be ready. And of course, if you're a chorister, you're going to be doing our, you know, rehearsals that last for several hours and, and you haven't been doing that so you, so you want to get you want to build up to that no one no one prepares for a marathon by running out going out and running 26.2 miles you just don't do that so you start small and I think that's it that's a good thing before we hit the big the big coral season which we're all so excited to be back in, into this fall we hope if all goes well so those are those are some things you can do. I think if you're a soprano, throw in a desk cat or two every week, because that's a, that's another thing that we all love to do. Um, an aspect that that maybe you forget is is holding the folder or holding the hymnal. Just how how you just maintaining your good posture while you're doing that, so that things don't get sort of I call it folder posture, where people get sort of <laughs> when you take a breath, you just sort of cave in each time while the folder stays there, and you don't want to do that. You want to make sure you're really you're really breathing, or else your arms are not folded in by your by your by your ribcage that there's some space between your arms and your elbows and your ribcage while you're holding the folder and just getting used to that again because that's that's a big thing i cantered um, just this past sunday at my church here in boston church of the advent and i i found oh, I'm i have to hold the folder i haven't hold, held a folder for that long in a long time so it was it was even for me, that was that was a, a rude awakening a little bit because I've gotten used to using my music stand here in my apartment and that's it. And I haven't had to hold that folder and perform and deliver across that folder into people out in the congregation. Of course, I was thrilled to have an ambient space in which to sing and live people to sing for. It was so right. It was really it was really fantastic. 
don't know if that answers some of your questions. It does. And, and you know, I, I have to be honest, I didn't even think about the binder, but you are so right, especially because too, and I don't have it in front of me, but I know with some of the choir edition hymnals that are from, that are permanent, if you will. And so they're not so much the ones that maybe replace every year. They're a little bit thinner or lighter. Those that have a hardback cover, I, 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 they're heavy. They really are. They really are. Yeah. That that's such a good point. Yeah. So let's, let's kind of stay on this for just a second. You mentioned rehearsal duration. Um, you know, what, what do we as choir directors need to be cognizant of in terms of our duration? Because I personally am afraid of going too long right now, but I also am eager to do a lot of things after not being able to for so long. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's going to be, the answer is going to be slightly different for everyone. And here at the Advent, we have an all professional choir. So we've jumped right back in to, to full rehearsals and we're, we're just dealing with that. And that's, it is summer mm -hmm. choir. So the rehearsals are a little bit shorter for that. So that's, that's helped mm -hmm. a little bit. But I think if you're working with a, a choir that employs a lot of volunteers, or maybe there's a mixture of volunteers and pros, I think it's really wise to start out with a little less just go easy, you know, have a cup, maybe start your rehearsal season a little sooner than you, than you would have just to get some short rehearsals in there before you really need the time to, to do something longer. Maybe plan some simpler pieces at the beginning just to, so that you don't need as much rehearsal time. Longer breaks, maybe you usually do a 15 minute break once in the rehearsal, maybe you do a couple of 10 minute breaks instead just to give people a little bit of a, of a breather. Yeah. What about choir members? I had this recently happen. I'll admit this question is submitted by me, but um, I have, I have a question about, I have a choir member and she, she came to me and said that she was trying to sing at home to prepare and get ready. She was really excited um, and that she, she's an alto and she feels that her range has lessened in this past um, 15 months. Um, is there anything that we can do to help with that? Absolutely. I mean, I think <laughs> some of my students have said that too, that they, they worry about that their skills have gotten rusty. And of course they have because they haven't been singing at the, at the capacity that they were used to. But it, it comes back fairly quickly, I think. And I think one thing you can do is just reassure your choir members that, you know, give it a couple of weeks, you'll get back in shape and it will, it, it's not something to worry about. I think you want to just ease in and just let it let it unfold naturally, just like when you haven't been doing any other task for a while, if you haven't exercised for a while and you, you go to your first class, you're going to be tired that first time. So, and then after a couple more classes, you're okay. I'm kind of back to where, where I was. So I think just reassuring these choir members that it's, it's not a permanent thing. Um, a lot of my students have worried because they, you know, their festivals that they got into or or jobs that they had were canceled, of course, during this time. And what if I, when I go to audition, that it's not going to be as good, or I'm not going to get anything? And you know, I have a really good friend who who always suggests the talent that got you there in the first place is still there, and the talent that led mm -hmm. you to want to be in a, in a choir is still there. And you you may have to brush up your skills, but nothing nothing disappeared during the pandemic. You're you're still the same musician that you were. You just you've just been on ice for a while, and that's been hard for all of us but it, it, it comes back and I think just easing in and being being patient with yourself about it I mean, it's been true for me too just coming back into performing my first post-pandemic performance was in May and I, I felt so rusty the day of the performance I was warming up I'm like oh god what's happened where's my eval I used to have an eval where is it and <laughs> 
just panicked about it. And then by the time, you know, I, I warmed up for a very long time. And then I went to the, the gig and it was, it was actually singing for a good friend's ordination. So it was really a special mm -hmm. event anyway. And I went to sing and it was, it was fine. And once I got in, into the zone, it, it, my, my body remembered what to do. I've been doing this a long time. And so have your choir members. You don't have to be a professional to, to have been, to have logged a lot of hours as a singer. And, you know, those, that kind of experience stays with you and your, your body remembers what, what you did, which is why I'm on my students about practicing carefully and and uh, wisely because your body remembers what you did. So you want it, you want it, the things that your body does to be healthy for you. Practice carefully and wisely. My goodness, that, that should be on a poster. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's a very good point. Uh, okay, so staying on this too. Um, yeah. The other thing that I, again, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on are vocal fatigue. So what are the signs of vocal fatigue in a singer and how can we address it with them without being disrespectful, of course, or making sure that they don't feel hurt? Absolutely. Uh, the most obvious one is if it starts to hurt, if the throat hurts for any reason, that, that's a, that's a non-starter. You just stop when it, when that's, when that's the case. Um, I will often ask a student in a lesson because I'll say I'm not in your instrument. I can't I can't monitor your throat condition for you. You need to tell me if you know if this hurts. And every now and then, if they've if they've been sick, I might stop and say, "How how's it feeling? Are you? It does it hurt?" So, so you, if you are a choir director, you might stop and ask everybody, just a quick check and how, how's everybody feeling? You know, and if you're not feeling so great, maybe sit out the next the next piece. Maybe take a little break of your own or maybe just sit out the rest of the rehearsal if you, if you really need to. So now if it hurts, that's always a bad sign. My teacher used to say that that I should breathe hard, breathe big enough that at the end of the rehearsal, my ribs hurt, but everything else felt fine. And that's, ah. you know, I always took that to be interesting because a certain bodily fatigue, you're gonna have that after you're singing. If you're singing with your full body and you're really, really breathing and really expanding your rib cage, you're gonna, that's going to fatigue at some point. And that will happen sooner, of course, if you haven't been singing for a while. But you want your throat, the throat is the thing you really have to monitor, your throat and your neck, um, you know, all those muscles in here. If anything in here starts feeling tight, you know, checking the body alignment as choir directors, you can, you can look around, you can see when somebody's singing like this, that's not, you know, they won't be able to do that for very long. So you want to take, a, take a, an eye, eye view around and make sure everybody's doing, doing something right. Maybe you stop and do a big stretch with everybody if you see people who are not standing up properly. Just little reminders about that because keeping your body aligned properly is, is a really big thing. Another really easy way to make sure that your body doesn't get tired when you're standing, and, and this is going to sound so simple and silly, but making sure that your feet are not head on. Your feet, your feet, one foot should be just slightly in front of the other one. So if your feet are dead on, then you have to work really hard to keep your rib cage up. And that's gonna, that's gonna tighten all kinds of things in your back and your neck. And that, that's really tough. But if one foot is a little bit ahead, it not only looks better, but it's, it's easier for your body to, to, um, to pose, for your rib cage to pose on top of, to sit on top of everything else, on top of your legs and your hips and, and keep your alignment a little, in a little bit of a healthier position. So that's something too, that you can check for yourself as a singer, but also as a choir director, you can check that too. And just everyone foot check. Where are your feet, you know? Yeah, foot check is great. Let's stay on breathing just for a second. You mentioned, of course, breathing is so critical, so critical. That seems like an obvious statement, I know. But this one, to, I'll be honest, Lynn, I'm not sure if you can fully 
respond to it, but I'd love to hear your reflections on it. Um, of course, so COVID-19 is an illness of breathing. You know, it was, it was an illness that affected so many people's breathing. And right. so if, if we have musicians that want to join in are, you know, and had COVID-19 last fall, they're, they're not a health risk for anyone else, but they may have residual um, breathing issues. Um, is there any way that, you know, essentially what are your reflections on that? Yeah, that's been one of the most devastating things about this. And one of the most frightening things for all of us who sing, you know, to, to think about catching that, that disease that is of breathing and how it might affect us long-term. We heard, we're hearing a lot about long COVID and people who have had COVID. So if you have people in your choir who did actually have COVID during this time, those people are, may have a harder time coming back in terms of the breathing. And that's something to be just really aware of and really kind and generous about. I, I did read though about, uh, there was a company, in, an opera company in the UK, and I can't remember which one it was now, that went into hospitals. This was a few months ago, a few months back, that they were going into hospitals. They were sending their opera singers into hospitals to help long COVID patients learn how to breathe again, which I thought was really I was fascinated by that because good breathing will help with, with the physicality of, of long COVID patients, but also just anyone who hasn't been singing for a while, anyone who's out of practice. So just breathing, breathing well, breathing deeply. Practicing doesn't always have to be you singing. Practicing can be you take some really good breaths every day. When I do perspective lessons with people, you know, it's the first thing I talk about, about how to take a good breath. And I go through my steps of how I want them to do that. And then, then I say to them, if you learned nothing from me today other than how to take a really good breath and you did that sometimes when you sang that would change a lot of things for you so you know mm. that it's really really important I on days when I'm, I'm not feeling so good or I'm, not, I'm feeling tired or I'm not my voice is I'm having allergies or something I definitely will still spend some time breathing because you want to make sure that you are you're keeping that going um, and really breathing really really thinking about releasing your abdominal muscles when you breathe letting your soft palate come up making sure your body's aligned before you do anything. That's always, always the case. Always make sure your body is, you're standing in a good posture, foot check before, before you take in that breath, just to make sure that everything is, is, is right. Thinking about the breath, not being a shallow breath. That's right here. We're just kind of, you know, when you breathe in, you're, you're preparing the space in which you're going to sing. So if you breathe in, then you're going to sing like this. And if you breathe in, you're going to sing here. We don't want that either. Mm -hmm. So you want the breath to be nice and quiet. I mean, think about when you come up from being underwater for a long time, you don't go, you go, <laughs> you open your body and allow as much air as possible to come in. So that's what you right. want to do when you're breathing. You want to think about releasing your body and just allowing that air to come in. And you can practice that. You can be waiting for the subway and practicing that. You can be standing in line <laughs> at the grocery store and you can do one of those those breath exercises. The breath exercises we can do in the grocery line. I'm not sure about the humming going into the vowels that you did before. I'm not sure. I don't do the in, in line at the grocery store, but I have done it waiting for the subway, especially when the train yeah. passed in New York. When I was a young singer in New York, when you didn't have anywhere to warm up before the audition, you'd stand on the platform and wait for the train to go by and then you'd let loose. Like that was ah. something, something we all did. So some of you out there may have done that too. So. All right. I have one more question about, again, um, about just congregational and choirs and uh, cantors in terms of just volunteer singing. Sure. Um, so 
one of the things I alluded to earlier, of course, is that, um, you know, I, I have already had someone come to me in my choir and say that my range, that their particular range needs to be expanded again. Um, would it be beneficial or would it do long-term harm to a congregation or, and or a choir to choose repertoire at this time that's more limited in range? Or do you think we should right away be okay with doing that expanded range to kind of stretch them back into the range that they knew prior? I think you want to think about your particular situation very carefully. If you have a lot of volunteers and maybe you have a lot of people who, who are, who may have been ill during this time or maybe older, it may, may, it may take them a little bit longer to get back into it. Sure, I would definitely plan some repertoire that is, is a little bit more limited in range and a little bit just simpler for them because the musicianship, musicianship skills are going to come back a little more slowly too. So, you know, the sight reading ability and rhythmic skills and just singing with the choir again, it, 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 take, it takes a little bit of, of just time to get back into that. So, so you might, yeah, I would definitely recommend starting a little bit, a little bit simpler and no, that won't hurt you long-term. I think it, it would hurt somebody to just hand them some huge thing. I mean, don't, don't hand them the Brahms Requiem at the first rehearsal. <laughs> that's not going to go well. I can't think of any choir where that would be the right place to start. So that's, I think you want to consider who, who's, you're working with and what what their needs might be and be patient with that because it's going to take a little bit of time it's going to be they're going to love it though how much easier it's going to be to sing if, especially if they've done any of, of these zoom choir things where a lot of choirs have tried to do that and it's and it's been amazing to watch that but also really frustrating and, and to do i'm sure um, I myself recorded a couple of duets with a, with a former student of mine, which are on my website if you want to go and look at them. But we, he did all the, all the beautiful photo editing and, you know, I just recorded my part with the track and I sent it to him and he put it all together. But it was not the fulfilling experience it would have been to sing with him. And, you know, the minute I've started singing with other people again, when you can see visual cues, when we took the masks off and you can see people's mouths again, it's just, it's much easier. And being able to see the conductor in real time, like you'll remember how to do that and it will feel all feel easier than than what we've been doing for all of this time so that that's a big plus I think I think so too I do and I I do sense that many musicians are ready to come back many musicians oh, many singers I we're all ready to come back yeah <laughs> yeah I agree I agree well before we wrap up I'd love to talk about your book the singer's epiphany so why don't you tell us a little bit about it Sure. So this is my most personal book ever. I've, I've written a couple of other books. One was called The Singer's Ego, and it was about um, being a singer and, and how being the instrument yourself can lead to ego pluses and minuses. And then my second book was The Teacher's Ego, about when singers become voice teachers and how you're going to negotiate all of, all of those ego issues that you might personally have, how you're going to how you're going to work with those in the studio with your students. But this book is actually really more of a memoir about a serious health experience I have gone through about seven and a half years ago now, now on something. Um, I was diagnosed with a low grade brain tumor and that was, uh, that was not something I was expecting and not something that I wanted to experience, but it was, so the book is really about that experience and how I went through that. And you know, when I, it took me a very long time to write because as I as I started to write it, I, I, my initial my initial plan for it was to really talk about how much better my life 
became after that happened because it really it really reconnected me with my faith I mean I always knew my faith was strong but it, 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 I, when I was leaning on it at that time I became clear how, how strong it really was and how, how big a part of my life my faith is and it was it was great to write about that really for the first time in this book but after about three years after the brain tumor diagnosis I got another diagnosis of an abdominal tumor a very large abdominal tumor which, which was unrelated they said so I'm just lucky so wow. uh, but they took that one out and that was you know I, I definitely had some moments of why God why really you know I'm going through this again but um it's that has that was basically benign a benign tumor but the brain tumor I'm, i have to there's no end of, of of there's no five years and you're done sort of thing with a brain tumor and mine has fingers in my brain that they couldn't remove so you know you you don't want to spend the rest of your life waiting for the other shoe to drop so that it's a little bit about how i learned to cope with that kind of uncertainty which definitely helped me during this last year and a half because we, things have been so uncertain for all of us and I would have had a much harder time dealing with that if I hadn't been through what, what I went through with the brain tumor but the book is really about how it changed me my singing how it how it affected my work in the teaching studio um it, it's it was a journey to write it and it came out last October so I'm happy that it's it's out there now and it's it's released by GIA publications right yes Okay. All right. Great. I'll put the link to it in the show notes of this episode, but also you can go to like, uh, like Lynn said, you can go to giamusic.com to get it, but um, I'll also put the link, like I said, in the show notes. There are links as well on my website, lynnmustis.com. So there's, there's a lot of stuff there about my books. There's some recordings that I've done there. If you're interested in hearing any of those, that's a good place to look. Yeah, definitely. And again, I'll put that in the link. I'll put that in the uh, show notes too. But if you're writing things down, if you're not driving, it's Lynn, L-Y-N-N, Eustis, E-U-S-T-I-S dot com. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. All right, good. Lynn, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you for being willing to chat with us on Ministry Monday about this. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Take care and hey, enjoy the summer choir season. <laughs> I will, you too. Thank you. Thanks so much to Lynn for her time today. For more information about Lynn and her new book, The Singer's Epiphany, visit the show notes of this episode at ministrymonday.org. The recording of Hope was produced by GIA Publications. And today's theme music was produced by Aaron Schaus. Today's episode of Ministry Monday was produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's it for today. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thanks for listening. Have a great two weeks. I hope to see you in New Orleans. And I'll see you back here on Ministry Monday on August 9th.